We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 15, through the end of the chapter. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray real quick. Lord God, we just pray that um, during this time today, Father, that you would speak through these words, that they would come alive to us. God, we pray that you use even this simple conclusion of the book of Colossians to teach us something new about who you are to speak through us through your spirit, Lord, to convict, to exhort, to encourage, whatever is needed. You know each heart of the person in here, Father. You know my heart. So I pray you would teach me. I pray you would teach this whole group. We want to hear from you, God. We don't want my, man's wisdom. We want your wisdom. We want to know um, the keys to life as you would, would tell us, Father. So we thank you so much for this word that you've given us. We thank you for us being here. We love you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Okay, so, you, know, you might be thinking, yeah, it's not much to go on, so what exactly is this going to be about? Um, well, luckily, I think there's a lot of meat packed into this. There's a lot of cool things you can get just from these few verses, and uh, kind of similar to last week, you know, Andrew talked a lot about the names and the people and, and what all this means, right, just to give us some context about what we're talking about. So, this week, I want to do something similar. We're going to go again, read through it again, and just kind of go verse by verse and say, okay, who are these people? Um, what is this place, and, and what's going on? All right, so the first thing he said was to greet the brethren that are in Laodicea, right? So the, that city of Laodicea is a neighboring city to um, the Colossian city, Colossae, and it's maybe a little over nine miles away, right? So about half a day's walk, you could get there. And he says, you know, greet your brothers and sisters there because they, because they're so close, they could share a lot together. There's a lot of communion between the church that was in, in Colossa and the, and the church that's in Laodicea, right? They had a lot of meetings together, and they could meet together. So he says, all right, I want you to greet these brothers. They're pretty close by. Um, but for you Bible scholars out there, if you hear that name Laodicea, that might ring a bell. We've heard this name before, this church before, right? It's actually mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. And if you know in Revelation um, chapters 2 and 3, and this is where Jesus is actually giving these seven messages to seven different churches, right? And um, Laodicea is one of those churches. And unfortunately, he didn't have a whole lot of good things to say when it came to Laodicea, right? He went through each church and said, okay, I want you guys to listen. This is what I see in you. Um, this is what you can work on, and this is how you can come back, you know, what you can do to repent of that. And so for Laodicea, as you guys might know, this is actually the lukewarm church, Right, Laodicean church was the church that he said, you are not hot and you are not cold, right? He's saying, you're not cold as in you're not distant, so distant from me that you don't know me. You know, you're believers. You've come to salvation through Christ. Um, but you're not hot either. You're not on fire. You're not zealous. You're not doing what you need to be doing. He says, you're right in the middle. You're lukewarm. And he goes as far to say, you're lukewarm so that it makes me want to vomit you out of my mouth, that I would spit you from my mouth, right? And, and that's that's pretty strong language, right, for Jesus to say of a church. And um, it just impressed upon me that it's this church of Laodicea, they might have started well, but they weren't doing so well 
when Jesus gave this message, right? I want to say, I was going to say that they didn't end well, but we don't really know that for sure. Jesus, at the very end of that, he said, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to um, be zealous and I want you to repent. He actually says at one point that you guys are so confident in your, in your wealth and in your security that you think you don't need anything, but you don't know that you need everything from me, that you're actually blind and you're, you're poor and you're miserable, but I, have, I can give you clothes, I can give you the real wealth that's been tested by fire. So he encourages them. So it's not that they didn't end well, it's just they weren't doing so well at the time. Um, all right, so that's Laodicea. That's who the Laodicean church is. And the very next thing that Paul says then is that I want you to also greet Nymphus and the church in his house, right? And this is really the only place Nymphus is mentioned. We don't really know a whole lot about who Nymphus is. Um, we know that he's a house church leader, and which is very common for those days, right? You had um, churches that were meeting together in cities and people's houses because at, the, at that time they were afraid to meet in the temple, right? They were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of the authority. And just, so they decided to start meeting in these houses. And houses back then weren't, weren't too big, right? So when they said the Colossian church, that actually was a collection of houses in the city of Colossae that churches met in, right? All these house churches came together and made one big church, made the Colossian church. Um, and just an interesting side note about this is, is that we don't really, we actually don't know um, a whole lot about Nymphus. If you're actually reading that, I'm reading the New King James Version. If you're reading in the NIV or the NLT, it might say Nympha and the church in her house. All right, and I know that's a little bit confusing. Like, okay, well, what's, did somebody get this wrong? And, and honestly, we really just don't know if Nymphus was a man or a woman. Um, it's just kind of a copy error that happens sometimes. And there's so many letters, um, it was very easy just to somebody's handwriting was a little bit weird, and you're like, uh, I think that says Nymphus. And one guy says, no, that says Nympha. And then they make a whole bunch of copies of that letter until they, when they finally decide to put the Bible together, they're like, I don't know, just pick one. Uh, we really don't know who's, who this person is. So some people said Nymphus, and it was a man, and some people said Nymphus a woman. In the end, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, if you really want to get into Bible translation and all that stuff, and or that makes you uncomfortable, just come talk to me. We can talk about it, and we'll try to clear that up together. And I'll tell you, it's, I didn't write the book. All right, let's go. So take it up with him. All right, so, so we have Nymphus and greet the church in their house. The next thing he says then is, I want you to read this epistle among you, right? Read it to the church. And this is how it was common practice, right? The church would come up and they would take this letter from the apostle and they would just read it to the whole church. And that's how they spread this message. And he said, but also read it to the Laodicean church that neighboring church we talked about, he says, I want you to read it to them. And um, what they would do is that when somebody got a letter from an apostle, they would make a copy, right? They would write it down and they would send the letter to another church. They would make a copy and send it to another church. And this is kind of how the, uh, the apostolic letters made their rounds through a whole region, right? As they would go from church to church and they would make copies. And um, that's also why we're fairly confident in how accurate these letters are. Because there's so many, so many copies of all the letters that went to these churches uh, that they could look at all the different copies and say, these all match up, right? These guys knew what they were doing. And so we can be confident that this is what they said, that this is the original, right? Nothing too much has changed, except if your name's Nymphus, I'm sorry. But otherwise, like, everything's pretty much good to go. And so that's, that's a good thing that they did. It's a good practice. Next thing he said to do was then to read the letter that I sent to the Laodiceans. So it was like after I, you read the letter that I sent you, read the letter that I sent to them. Okay, and so for that, we're going to go to um, 
the book of Laodiceans, chapter 1. You can flip there, and uh, yeah, nobody's flipping, so that's good. All right, we're all good here. Um, so there's no, you know, we don't have this letter. That's not what I'm trying to say. We don't have the letter that Paul sent to the Laodiceans. We have no idea what was in that letter. And honestly, there was a lot of letters we don't have, right? There's probably a lot of letters to Paul and the other apostles sent that we don't have today. And um, this doesn't mean that the Bible is incomplete or that we're missing things. Uh, if you remember in the book of John, um, the very end of John, chapter 21, what did John say of Jesus? He said, and he's done, Jesus did so many other things that if we wrote them all down, there would not be enough books in the world to contain everything that he did, right? It's like there's so many things that he did. It's the same thing he said of the apostles, right? There's so many things they did. The Bible would be a 100,000-page book, you know, by the time we got to the end of it, if we wrote everything. And even then, it's probably not accurate, right? And we know that if Scripture's inspired, that means it's also protected, right? That we have Scripture as God wants us to have it, right? If he's powerful enough to create the earth from nothing, to create us from the dust, right? He's powerful enough to maintain his book, to maintain his holy scriptures so that we have what we need to have, All right? There's nothing missing. It is complete, and it is finished. All right, so just wanted to make a brief note about that. So next, he then says, and then I want you to say this to Archippus. And just a side note about who Archippus is, right? His name, I thought this was cool. His name means master of horses. He's the horse master. And, uh, the only other place that we know of Archippus is actually in the book of Philemon, where Paul says he greets Philemon, you know, he sends a letter to Philemon, and then he says, also to your wife, Aphia, and also to Archippus. And so because of that, we think that Archippus is probably Philemon's son. Not totally sure about that, but at least it was probably in his house. And he calls him a fellow soldier and a fellow and a minister. So whoever Archippus is, he's a pastor, right? He's either pastor in the Colossian church or the Laodicean church. Um, but he's one of the pastors that was, that was there serving at the time. And we know this too because he then says, I want you to take heed of the ministry, right? Take heed of the ministry that I have sent to you, that you have received in the Lord, sorry, that you uh, received in the Lord and that, that you can fulfill it, right? So we know that Archibus is probably this pastor that's received this ministry. And, um, and those words, take heed of that ministry, this is something that is really what we're going to focus on. We're going to circle back to this in a minute. We're going to go through the rest of this chapter and just to finish it out, but we're going to come back to that, all right? Because I think that's where there's a lot of content there. And next, Paul just says, and this is by my own salutation. I wrote this with my own hand, and um, Paul would dictate all of his letters. So someone, he would dictate to somebody, and they would write it out, and then he would sign with his own hand. So you, you knew it was Paul that signed it. He then says, remember my chains, which is three very powerful words. Um, I'm sure it contained a lot of emotion and a lot of emotions for Paul, you know, when he says that, remember my chains. Uh, he really just wants the church to be identifying with his sufferings and with um, where he's at in prison, right? It says that in Hebrews chapter 13. It says that remember those in prison as if you are bound there with them. So he's just saying, remember me as I'm in prison as if you are here with me. Uh, but also it's not just a plea for, he's not saying feel bad for me, you know, empathize with me, sympathize with me. He's saying, it's actually what gives me authority, the fact that I'm in chains here for the sake of the Lord. It gives me authority to speak to you the way that I'm speaking to you. And then finally, it closes out, and he says, grace be with you, and amen. He's the apostle of grace, as they call him, so he understands grace more than most. Think about who Paul was and who he is now. Um, so he just closes in saying, grace be with you. Okay, so that's just an overview of who these people are, who all these names mean, what's going on in this chapter. And I just wanted to give us this 
kind of brief background context, right? So now let's circle back. And I want you to look at where it says in verse 17. I'll read this again. And he says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And this idea of the ministry is really what stuck out to me. The ministry. What is, what is the ministry? What does it mean to take heed to the ministry? What does it mean to receive the ministry? Um, and I think that, obviously, literally here, he's talking to Archippus. I'm just going to call him Archie. All right, I'm tired of saying this, this name. All right, he's saying to Archie that I want you to, to take heed to this ministry that you've received, and he's a pastor, right? However, I don't think this message is only for a pastor. I think this is a message that's, that's here for us and who we are as a church, right, to take heed of this ministry. So this is what we're going to focus on. That's why the subtitle of this message is the ministry. Now, I, th- I believe because of what's written in Ephesians 2 that we all have this ministry that we seek to find and to carry out. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right, so God has this plan for each of us. Right, he, he's prepared this path and these good works for all of us to be able to walk. And he's prepared them beforehand. Right? It's even before we were born, even before we knew that we were going to get saved. Right? God has prepared all these good works for us to walk in them. That is our destiny. That is part of his plan and who he is. So I believe that there's four things that we can do concerning this ministry. Like when I look at this verse, I say, okay, there's four actions that I see here. And number one, it's going to be Take heed of this ministry. Take heed of the ministry. Right, it's the first thing that he says. Now, when I look at this, take heed is not an like, expression that we really use anymore. You know, it's kind of old English. And uh, so someone, you know, we're setting up in the morning and the truck pulls up and I say, fellows, take heed of that truck. Right, they're going to, okay, that's weird, but sure. Uh, to take heed literally just means to look at something. That's, when you, that's what that means like in a literal sense. Look at something with your eyes. To focus your eyes and your gaze upon something is you're taking heed of it. But that's not what he means by this, right? Take heed is also like a figurative saying where it's not looking necessarily with your physical eyes, but you're looking at something with your mental eye, with your mind's eye, right? It means to, to contemplate, to consider, to think about, to center your thoughts around something is to take heed of it. So if you look at it in that way, it's really saying, Okay, so I want you to contemplate the ministry. Contemplate the ministry. Now we know for, for Archie, he was saying it's the ministry that you received that was in the Lord, right? But if we just stop and look at this, really we think, okay, what is the ministry? Like what does the word the ministry even mean? Um, if we look at this word for ministry, the Greek word for this is actually, it's, uh, I'm going to butcher this, diakonia, diakonia, something like that. And uh, really the meaning behind this is to, to serve right, to perform a service or to, to minister um, to someone else. It's doing something for someone, right, it means to serve. Jesus used this word of himself, actually. There's a few times we see this in the Bible, and one time is where Jesus, uh, both in Matthew chapter 20 and Mark chapter 10, when Jesus says, I did not come to be served but to serve, he uses that word, diaconia, and says, I am a servant, right, I'm here to serve you, to be a deacon to you, um, it's actually where we get that word deacon. It's from the word diaconia, which is an office in the church where someone is officially commissioned to serve, right? It's like an official servant in the church is a deacon. 
So Jesus calls himself this, this deacon, this servant. But also when Jesus was in the wilderness, and remember he was tempted by Satan three times, and he resisted those temptations. And afterwards it says, because he had been fasting, it says that angels came to him and they ministered to him. Use that same word, deacon. The angels came and they were deacons to him. They, they served him. They met his needs, right? So that's what we mean by ministry. We mean a ministry is an area of service, right? We know in church language, we hear that a lot. We hear about, you know, we have the children's ministry. You serve the, in the children. Um, we have the worship ministry, who's here on the worship team. You have parking ministry. You have prison ministry. It's all these areas that you serve in. So the next part really then is, okay, we know what ministry is, but what is, what's my ministry? Like, how do I figure out then what ministry I'm supposed to be in and what I'm supposed to be doing? What's, what is the ministry that I'm supposed to be taking heed of? And honestly, this is something that some of us, this is a lifelong pursuit, because really your ministry is going to change, right? That you might have a ministry right now where you're serving at, but 20 years from now, 10 years from now, six months from now, God could call you to something completely different and say, I want you to shift and change into this ministry. But how do, we, how do we just figure it out? Number one question I would say is, okay, so what ways are you gifted? Like, if you look at your spiritual gifts, when each of us are become believers, the Holy Spirit endows us with a spiritual gift. What is that gift? What's the gifting that he's given you? You know, we list all the gifts of, there's administration, there's teaching, there's, um, talk about um, encouragement, we talk about mercy, we talk about all these gifts, and so it's a matter of figuring out what this gift is. There's a lot of ways to do this, right? We pray. We need to pray and, and seek God and figure out what the gifting, to, to show what the gifting is. We have spiritual gift tests that you can take. Um, a lot of us have done that. You know, if you've grown up in church, you probably took that like in Sunday school or something like that, and I would encourage you. It's always good to take it again, something like that, or you can find online like the spiritual gift test. Um, but overall, sometimes I would just say, it's best just to pray and say, God, can you show me where I, where I should serve? Show me what my ministry is, and then show up and just serve. Take that step of faith, and let, just let God show you and, and confirm and affirm for you, not only through prayer, but through people that are around you, and to say, hey, this is where I should be serving, right? And they can tell you what that ministry of service is, and they can say, yeah, you've been doing this awesome job, and I can see clearly this is where you fit, or maybe, you know what, this is maybe not a good fit, but I see this other thing. I see this other ministry that you could serve in. I see this gifting elsewhere. You can also even look at how you're naturally gifted, right? If God knit us together in, this womb, in the womb before we were born, right, the natural gifts that we have come from God, how we're naturally gifted. Um, what are your talents? What are, what are things do you bring to the table? All that's part of his plan, right? You didn't just happen to be good at this one thing. Um, God planned that out, and he wants you to pursue that. All right, so this is how we figure out what the ministry is, but now, so the question becomes, are you heeding this ministry, right? Are we taking heed? Are we considering? Are we listening to the ministry that God has called us to? Which really, I think, means, do you bear the responsibility of your ministry, right? I think about in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, is where Jesus gives this parable of the talents, right? And he says, there was three men, and I'm just going to kind of sum up this parable for you, and I definitely encourage you to read it. It's an awesome parable, so there's these three men, and God gives each of them some talents, which back then would be money. It's currency, right? So he said he gave one man five talents and gave one man, um, I'm sorry, one man ten talents, one man five talents, and one man he gave one talent. And then he says, I'm going to leave for a while, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm, you're going to have to 
there's going to be a reckoning, right? You're going to have to give me what you owe. So he leaves, and it says while he was away, the man with 10 talents, he doubles it, right? He works hard, he invests, whatever he does, he doubles the amount of talents that he has. The man with five talents, same thing. He works hard, he doubles these talents with whatever he has. But the man that had one talent, he went away and he hid it. He just buried it in the ground, and he said, all right, I'm going to just keep it safe. So when the master came back, and he asked all these men, okay, can you give me, what do you have, right? And the man with the 10, he said, well, look, I doubled it, and so now I give you 20. Man with five was the same thing. He said, I doubled it, so now I can give you 10, right? And, and the master said to them, you guys have done well, like well done. You've been faithful servants. You've done well. And the man that, though, had one, he says, Lord, I'm sorry. I have one talent. Here's what you give me. I'm just given to give it back to you. You know, I went and hid it because I know that you are a hard master. And the master said that he was wicked and he was lazy, right? And he says, you're not going to have any part with us, right? And he rebuked him for that. And that story is the talents that God gives us, the things that he, the areas that he gives us to serve in, the gifts that he gives us, we can't squander those, right? We can't just bury them in the ground and walk away and say, all right, God, I'm just going to do what I can, right? I'm not going to use these talents. I'm just going to survive until the day that Jesus comes again, right? Circling back a little bit to where we were talking about the lie to see in church, right? I think maybe this is an area that they, this is how they failed. I think what Jesus wrote to them. And he said that they were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, right? If the summation of our experience with God is coming to church on Sunday just to listen and just to consume, and then, you know, we just listen to the, to the sermon, we listen to the worship, and then we leave here and do nothing about that. And that's it. That's our whole experience. That is the definition of lukewarm, right? And I, that... I thought that and it convicts me just as much as it convicts anyone, right? Because I think, man, how, how many times do I do that sometimes? Where I'm just like, all right, church is a thing we do on Sunday. It's not a thing that we live throughout the week. It's not who we are. That's what it means to be lukewarm. It's to take those talents that God has given us, those gifts, and to say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to use those, right? I'm just going to hide them away and walk away. Now, if we use our talents, they will reproduce, right? We use those gifts. It's going to make reproduction in the church. And we're going to circle back to that idea in a little bit, but just want to keep that in mind. So take heed to the ministry. The next thing he says to Archippus to do, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. Right? He's received this ministry. So number two, the ministry is something that needs to be received. We need to receive the ministry. Um, it can't just simply be given. We've heard this before. If you've spent time in church, you've kind of heard before where Receiving Christ is not just, um, you have to open the gift, right? We've, we've talked about salvation like it's a gift. It's the same thing with, with our ministries, right? That it's something that if you get a gift on your birthday, you have to open it to make use of it, right? It just sits on the table and you say, thanks, I love it. They're going to say, oh, that doesn't, you don't even know what's in there. Um, it's something that has to be received and has to be opened. But receiving also means taking something into yourself, right? You receive it into who you are. When you receive Christ, you're receiving him where? Into your heart. That's the expression we use a lot of the time, right? You're receiving him into yourself. It's the same way with the ministry. Well, that ministry that God has placed you in, you have to receive it into, that, into your heart, into who you are. This means that your ministry is going to, it's meant to move you. It's meant to be something that drives you and that drives you to compassion. I think of 
Um, Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, is where Jesus looked out on the crowd and he says that, what? He says he was moved with compassion, right? He was moved with compassion because it's like they were, they were like sheep and they had no shepherd. They had no leader, no one to guide them. So I think, well, what do we, what do we look at and what, what moves us? That can be the answer to what your ministry should be, right? That's, that's what you should be receiving is, the, is that area of ministry that you look at and you say, this isn't right, right? If it's, it could be children's, it could be um, in worship. We talked about prison ministry. You know, a lot of guys I know went into prison ministry because it's like these guys were the forgotten ones. You know, they, they went and visited someone that was in prison and they said, these guys have no hope, right? No one, we just put them away, we lock them up and forget about them. And it says, no, they were moved by that. And so they said, we need to, we need this ministry. And the important part of this, probably the most important, is it's not just receiving the ministry, but it's he received it in the Lord, right? Receiving the ministry in the Lord. The reason it says the ministry and not your ministry, right? When we get this ministry, it's not something that's, it's not coming from us, right? And I think sometimes in the church we can have this tendency where we want to commission ourselves to a ministry rather than being commissioned to the ministry, Rather than being ones that are called by God, we, we almost call ourselves, right? And I think it's born out of this desire, and all of us have this sort of selfish desire where we want to receive glory, right? We want to be in a position that's, that's glorified, and we look at the very public positions in the ministry. We look at um, teachers, and we look at worship leaders, and we look at the people that you see on a Sunday, and we think, well, you know, they're kind of receiving the glory. They're, they're the ones that are up that everybody sees, right? And that's, that's what I want. And we tend to think so little of the other ministries, right? We think little of like doing setup and we're like, yeah, but how, how much is that really important? Well, here's the thing. Even though we think very little of those ministries, God does not think little of those things. God sees those ministries and he sees the faithfulness and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, right? What does it say? I would rather be a, tent ma- a, a door holder in the, in the house of God, right? I'd rather be in his courts if that meant I got to be with him. It's the same way with ministry. It's like I would rather, if, if God calls me to just set up chairs, if he calls me to unload the truck, if I get to be near him and be with his presence and be serving in the capacity he wants me to serve, well, then hallelujah. Thank you, God, for that, right? I praise you for that. I don't have to be in a public place. I want to balance that and say, you know, it's not, a, it's not bad to desire that office, right? In, in 1 Timothy 3, he says to desire the office of bishop, which could be a minister, pastor, leader, is to desire a good work. You're desiring a work that is good, but there's a difference between desiring something and coveting something. The difference between desiring something and taking something. Right? We cannot take from God. It doesn't work that way. If a ministry is something that we try to take from God, it's, that's a recipe for failure. That will fail, and we will fall hard, right? I think about King David. It's a good example of this. When he wanted to build, uh, he wanted to build the temple, right? King David was the man after God's heart, and he was this warrior king. He wrote all these psalms. He was just so close to who God was, and he says, God, I want to do this thing for you. I want to build this whole temple. He drew out all these plans. He gathered all these supplies, and God finally said, no, it's not for you to do this. You're a man of war. You've shed so much blood. You cannot build my temple. And now David, thankfully, as a faithful king of Israel and a faithful man to God, he, he yielded to that. He humbly said, all right, Lord, 
I'm going to listen to what you say. I'm not going to build this. We're going to pass it on to my son. And God said, yeah, your son Solomon is the one who's going to build this temple for me, right? So sometimes we have this desire to do something that we think is amazing for God, but unless God is the one that calls us to it, it's just not going to work, right? It's not meant to work. We all have a different role. We all have a different gifting, right? If each of us were, all of us were teachers and all of us are pastors and worship leaders, we, there wouldn't be any chairs to sit in. There would be no sound here, nothing for the kids to do. They would just run amok in this whole room and honestly nothing would get done, right? It's just more for family weekend than you know how that went. So no, I'm just kidding. kidding. It was gossip, Andrew. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, No, but it's just, we need all of these people, right? And I also think of just things like, we need prayer warriors, we need encouragers, we need counselors. There's so many things the church needs that are not these huge public ministries that we desperately need. The church desperately needs people of mercy. You know, we think of that gift as such a small thing, like the gift of mercy. What does that even mean? Like, I'm really good at people offending me and me not getting mad about it, or like, or I'm just, I'm just letting it go. Like, is that my gift? It's like, no, listen, we can have all of these teachers that have sound doctrine, and we can have awesome worship, but if someone comes in and says, I failed, and I messed up, people of mercy are the ones that we need to go to them and say, it's all right. Listen, let's talk about this. Let me help you through this. Let me walk you through this, right? At that point, they don't need the doctrine to come in and say, well, you're right. Yeah, you did mess up. Here's why, right? Or it's, no, they need that merciful word of encouragement. We desperately need this today. The church really needs people of mercy, or sometimes we take all the gifts, right? And we say, oh, I can do everything, right? I'm just going to do each, like all the things that I'm just going to do them all. And that's a surefire path to getting burned out, right? That's how you just, you finally just are like, God, I, I can't bear all this weight. And then God's like, I didn't want you to. I gave you this one gift. You know, I didn't ask you to take on every, every little thing that's going on, right? And I think of a message that I read um, this a while ago where it talked, I think it was uh, Chuck Smith talked about this, about about what grace is and how grace works, and um, that grace is not something that's only for our justification. Like, it's not something that just saves us, but it's also for all, everything after that. It's also for our sanctification. It's also for as we work and we serve the Lord, it's like, no, you're, my grace is there for you too in that, in that moment. It's not like you get saved and then you say, all right, God, I got it from here. I'm going to serve you and I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to make you proud of me. No, it doesn't work like that. God also gives us that grace to say, hey, all you got to do is the thing that I called you to do. Do the good works that I prepared for you. Walk in those things that I prepared beforehand. There's no need to try to hack another path. You know, I kind of think of it almost like, whereas this, we're in the Christian life and we have this goal, we see the goal, right? We see like heaven in the distance, but we're in this, we're in this dark wood. We're standing in the woods and it's dark. And so we say, all right, get out the machetes and hack your way through the trees. And God says, no, listen, my word is a lamp. It goes to your feet. And as soon as you see and look down and look at your feet, there is a path that I've cut for you, right? And it goes all the way there. All you have to do is walk. You just have to walk. You don't have to make it extra hard. You don't have to do all this crazy stuff. You just got to walk, walk forward. Um, The book Pilgrim's Progress, if you've read that book, is very good at that, right? Where it's like, he just has this straight path, but all the time he gets in trouble. Like this this Christian gets in trouble because he goes off the path and he gets distracted by all these things. Right, but God said, no, I just walk. It's a straight path. Just walk. Walk to heaven, right? And that's it. So we have to receive this ministry from the Lord. And the final thing he says to him, he says, you have received 
Take heed of this ministry that you've received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So the number three is going to be fulfilling the ministry. I says, I want you to fulfill the ministry that you have been given. And it's interesting, this is conditional, right? In, in the coding, we would call this a conditional statement, right? It's not, um, it has to follow the other two things. You have to take heed of the ministry, then receive it, and that's received in the Lord before you can fulfill it. And you might read that and say, well, duh, you know, how are you going to do that? But honestly, we do try to do this out of order. I think we do this all the time. Sometimes we don't actually take the time to contemplate what our ministry is, or we don't think about whether we're called to do it or not. We just try to do it, right? And all that does is make you busy. We have that old expression that, right, the, um, the devil can't make you bad. He's going to make you busy, right? He's going to just give you a whole bunch of stuff and say, oh, look at all the things you got to do. Say, oh, you're right. I got to do all this stuff. And it's like, no, we have to take the time to seek the Lord and to say, what's the ministry you've called me to? How can I fulfill it? And not get busy. And that word fulfill, right, is really to see something to the end, to see it completed, to go to the completion, to go to the finish line, right? Now, when I read that, as, you know, as people that, that serve in ministry, we read that, and I can honestly feel a little overwhelmed sometimes because I'm like, Lord, there's so much to be done. There's so much to be said. Um, there's so many works to do. How can we finish? How can I fulfill the ministry? How can I finish it? Like, I'm never going to finish this. It's crazy. Um, and number one, the first thing I remember is that it's not our ministry, really. It's his ministry, right? It's, this is a ministry that the Lord, again, he's prepared these things for us beforehand that we can walk in them. It's not that, it's not that we have to see it fulfilled. Like, we're not the ones completing it. And honestly, that's the awesome thing about God. That's the awesome thing about God's grace. It's like from start to finish, he says, I, I saved you, but I'm also doing the work, right? I'm completing the work, and you're just walking in it. You're just partnering with me, and you're walking side by side. I heard a good quote that said, we don't work for God's approval. We work with God's approval. Right? God has always approved, already approved us. He's already given us the commissioning. Right? We don't have to try, try to finish all these things and just get burned out saying, Lord, I just want to make you proud of me. And he's like, I was proud of you the day you were born. Right? When you, when you receive salvation, that's, that's when I was a proud father of you. I don't need you to, to, to work for my approval, to work for me to love you again, right? I've always loved you. Like, there's nothing else for you to do for that. Um, and when we look at it that way, then ministry becomes something that's a joy, right? It's a joy for us to do. It's, it's something that we get to do with God. It's not something we have to do for him. And the other thing I thought about with this is that if you look in just the history of the Bible and all the, the men of faith and the women of faith, and it's there's a lot of people that didn't really finish their ministries. You know what they did? They passed it on. They passed the baton to the next person. If you think about Moses, right? His ministry was leading the people out of Egypt, and he was going to lead them to the promised land. But did he lead them there? He didn't, right? He had some bumps along the way. So what happened? He passed it off to Joshua. He said, Joshua, you're going to finish. You're going to lead these people to the promised land, right? Elijah. Elijah was a man that you know, he wanted to start this whole revival. He wanted to turn all of Israel back to who God was and away from the false idols and all those things. And, but you know what? When it came time for Elijah to leave, Israel was still in a pretty messed up place. So what did he do? He passed on the mantle to Elisha, to the next prophet, and said, you're going to continue the work. Paul was busy in the ministry of leading all these churches, but, you know, there's a lot of churches to plant. There's still a lot of stuff to do. His very last letter that Paul sent before he died was to who? His son in the faith, Timothy. 
and says, I need you to continue on, continue the race, right? Teach and do these things. He passed on the mantle to him. And that's encouraging to me when I think about that because I think about, you know, I don't, that in the end, I actually don't have to accomplish, I don't have to finish the whole ministry. You know, it's not like the whole world has to get saved by, by my work or I don't have to, um, I don't have to do it all. It's like I can just raise up the next leaders, raise up the next people that are going to take our place and that they're going to continue and then they're going to raise up new leaders and we're going to keep doing that until it is finished by the one who finishes, right? There's actually only one man that ever said it was finished, right? And he's the only man that's going to be able to say that. He's the one that's going to finish the work. It's not, it's not all on us, right? He, he finished it when he was on the cross. That's why he said that. That's why he said it's finished, right? And now we're just waiting for him to come back. And while we're doing that, we're in this ministry and we're serving together, and that's when it's finally going to be finished. And I thought about it's not, when we think of fulfill, as I said earlier, that fulfill is seeing it to the end, right? It's not really, it's not the end. It's, it's really just our end. Like we fulfill until our end, right? The hope, the hope is that one day we're going to say, just like Paul said, right? I've run the good race and I've stayed the course, right? I've, did, I've done all the best I can do. I've poured out myself like a drink offering. We can say that one day. And that race he's talking about, it's not like a, it's not a race where you necessarily cross the finish line. It's more like a relay, right? You get to your part and then you pass it to the next person. And there, there's this old quote, this uh, author from the 70s, his name was uh, Richard Bach, and he, I don't think he's a Christian necessarily, but he said something that always stuck with me. And he said, how do you know that you finished your mission on earth? How do you know that you're done? He says, if you're alive, you haven't. If you're alive, your mission's not over, right? That's great encouragement because sometimes we think, Kyle, what about, I had a ministry and I failed. I fell out of the ministry, right? I messed up. So did I, am I done? It's like, no, God doesn't, God doesn't see that. And then he's like, all right, well, you're on the bench, you're waiting until my return, like you're, you're done. Right? He, he continues to redeem us, continues to give us grace, continues to give us a ministry. He's the one that finishes. And sometimes you might not even be seeing the fruit of your ministry, and that can be disheartening for us. And I thought about, there's a couple that I knew that were missionaries in Africa. For nine years, they were there. Nine years, they were missionaries. And they said, they never saw one person get saved in their whole ministry. And maybe part of that, could that have been them? Maybe, right? But honestly, maybe their whole job there, they said, was to plant seeds and to water them. But you know what happened is that when the next group came, when those next missionaries came, immediately they saw this harvest. They saw this great harvest of so many people coming to faith. And it was because these missionaries were diligent and faithful to water the plants, to plant the seeds, and not necessarily getting burnt out by saying, well, we, didn't, we haven't seen any of the fruit. No. It's like they know we don't need to see the fruit. We just have to do the plan that's been laid out for us, right? Remember I said we would circle back to the reproduction of talents, right? When we talked earlier about the talents and, and how using our giftings reproduces, well, that's what it is. We're raising up this next generation, right? That's our fulfillment. It's making sure that when we leave, we can have this, this next generation that's, that's been raised up, that we've trained, and that can then take, take it on and continue the ministry that, we, that was started, long before our time, right? Okay, and there's a final point, and I know you're thinking, Kyle, you're at the end of the sentence, and uh, there's not, your final point's about a period, like there's not a whole lot going on, no. 
So I'm going to do a little Bible juke, and we're going to kind of circle back to the very first thing when he said to Archippus. And if we read that very carefully, you know what he says? He doesn't say, he doesn't tell Archippus, take heed to the ministry. He says, I want you to say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry. He tells the church to tell Archippus to take heed to the ministry. This isn't a letter that directly, it's not a command he directly gives to Archippus himself, right? He tells the church, I want you to tell him this. I want you to say this to him. It's meant to be something that's encouraging, right? He's saying, church, I want you to get around your pastor, and I want you to encourage him that this is your ministry that you've received in the Lord, so fulfill it, right? That we're behind you, we're with you all the way, right? And if I think of this in a literal way, the literal lesson from this is that we should be encouraging of our pastors, all right, Andrew paid me a lot to say this part. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but honestly, I read this, and I'm, I'm convicted of that, and I firmly believe this, this is what the Word is saying. We need to encourage our pastors, right? That our pastors here, honestly, I've, I've seen it. Like, we hear a lot of correction. They hear a lot of exhortation. There's a lot of rebuke. Sometimes a rebuke, and um, those things are necessary. However, we definitely need encouragers, right? We talked this earlier that the, the church needs these people of mercy and encouragement. We need people to come and say, hey, but at the same time, though, you're doing your ministry. I want you to know you're, you're where you're supposed to be. You're, you have received this ministry. Clearly, this is from God, right? This ministry you've been given, so I need you to see you fulfill it, and we'll be with you, right? Paul was not intending this as a rebuke to him. He wasn't saying um, that you're doing something wrong. Really, I think he just looked at Archie and said he lacks, con- like, maybe he was lacking confidence, right? I think about so the same, something similar to Timothy is what he said when he told Timothy that I didn't give you a spirit of timidity, you know, of fear, but of power. He says he knows Timothy was lacking those elements in his life, so he spoke into that. And it's the same thing with this guy. He says, you're probably lacking some confidence, so let me build up that confidence for you. And I just want to iterate, too, this doesn't mean that anything goes, right? We need the words of exhortation. We need those words of correction, right? If there's, you hear something that's said that's like dangerous doctrine, or something that's like, hey, you were off on that, for sure. You should tell that person. You should tell me that, for sure. Feel free, please. Don't tell me. I learn a lot from those things. Um, it's definitely something that we need. We, those peop- there's people in the church that have those gifts, and we rely on those people to make sure that we are where we're supposed to be. I'm just saying, we also want to balance that out with encouragement, that if you think about it, if you're, most of the words coming out of you are criticism, more so than encouragement, there might be something off right? That as Christians, we're all called to encourage. We're all called to build up. So in a general sense, kind of moving on to that, so literally this applies to pastors, right, he's talking to, but in a general sense, this means we encourage the ministry of others as well. That God didn't intend for us to just serve in these little bubbles, right? He didn't, he's, he's not intending for us to, all right, I'm going to come do my job. I'm not going to look at the worship people or the setup guy. I'm just going to fix up my table, right, and do my thing. And then, and then leave. No, it's, we're meant to be serving together so that we can edify one another. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, to comfort and edify one another in the church. Right? God wants us working together to build up who his church is, to serve in the ministry. So practically, that just means if you see somebody doing a good job, you know, say that, say something about it and say, hey, I see that you're serving in a place that this is where you should be. Or maybe you might say, hey, I don't know if that's the place, but I see you have this gifting, right? I see that you have a gift to, to speak, so maybe you should be looking for those opportunities and, and you should be going for that, right? It means that we encourage each other. We can affirm one another. And it's also a great way just to give confirmation, 
right, in the right ministry. Because somebody might be, we don't, we don't really know what's going on in everyone's head, right, when they're serving. They might be thinking, I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be. I don't know if this is what I should be doing. You know, they've been praying about it. They've been wrestling with it. So for someone to come next to them and say, hey, this is the right ministry for you. You know, I see clearly this is from God, right? It confirms that for them. It confirms that ministry in their mind. These things are very confirming and very affirming. And lastly, we're going to close out with this. So worship team, I want to invite you guys to come back up and you guys can get ready. Um, to learn these things, what really speaks to me is that God has brought us to the place that we're in for a very specific reason, that there's a specific plan, a specific destiny that he has in mind for us, right? There's a ministry that he's prepared for us, works that he's prepared. We, want, we need to figure out where we're going to be in that plan, as in take heed of the ministry. We have to receive that ministry. We have to fulfill that ministry and encourage others in that ministry. And honestly, I can't tell you where that ministry is going to go. You know, it's like we said earlier that your ministry could change six months, God could call you somewhere else. That Paul... This ministry led him to be in chains, right? It led him into a place that a lot of us are like scared, that would be scared to be at. But if that's, if that's the call, then that's the call, right? This ministry is something that should be giving us joy. The last thing, I really like the last thing said to them, that Paul said to the, to the Colossians, he said, grace be with you. You know, that's how he opened the book of Colossians. The first thing he said to them was grace to you. And that's what he leaves them with. He says, grace be with you. If there's anyone that understands grace, it's, it's Paul, the apostle, right? You think about what his life has been like, the things that he's gone through, the things that he's done, and God gave him grace for all of that. But even when those, those times that he struggled, right? And he says, there's a thorn in my side that's been bothering me. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. It's the same thing with us in our ministries, right? That we need, we need that grace. We need to rely on that. Right? We're not working for God's approval. We have his approval. God loves who we are. He loves us. He wants us to fulfill the ministry, right? So with that, I say grace be with you all. And amen.